Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. I didn't do the whole Michelle Andrews. That would be me and Zara McDonald. That would be you. Annabelle Lee, you're also here. I'm here. Hey, birthday gal. Oh, no, not already. We'll get to that in a second. Coming up on today's show, Beck Judd's op shop donation causes an influencer storm. J-Lo's engagement is on, then off, then kind of on again. The slut-shaming of Melbourne socialite Mia Favola. And then, last but not least, a chat about the Grammys and what the performance lineup told us about the legacy of music's bad boy, John Mayer. But first, Zara, how was your week? I mean, happy birthday to you, no. first and foremost. Oh, no, stop, please. No, fast. <laughs> I don't want to do the whole, like, faux concern over people saying happy birthday, but I genuinely do not like my birthday and I genuinely feel like I'm in a fishbowl on my birthday. What's your problem with the birthday? I just feel like embarrassed I think it also this will sound ridiculous and I'm sure people will psychoanalyze me I just feel like birthdays are used as a measure of like how many friends do you have and like what are you doing and I just feel self-conscious about it all so I'm like no one mind me I'm just gonna go about my life <laughs> I remember when we were younger you used to hate birthdays because you didn't want to get older that seems to be slowing down a little bit yeah I mean, every birthday I do get a bit sad about my age, but then I have a whole bunch of listeners come like ferociously at me telling me to shut up because I'm younger than they are. So maybe I just need a relish being 27. I think welcome to 27. I'm not there yet, <laughs> nor, nor is Annabelle, but welcome to that sort of level of age. How did we get here? I asked you about your week. I know, but it is your birthday and I do love birthdays. I said to Ollie when I woke up this morning, I said, it's Michelle's birthday. It's another one of our friend's birthdays and I'm so happy for them, but I just wish it was mine. <laughs> 
was like, I'm sick. I'm sick in the head. Anyway, my week was great. I do have a story for you all. I have a story. Ooh. You know the story. I have the story for the listeners. Oh, so. we have to tell this story because no one will believe us either. Annabelle, I don't think you've heard this story. I don't know this story. Okay. So first and foremost, one of my favorite podcast episodes of all time <laughs> is this podcast episode from This American Life called Coincidences No Coincidence. Mm-hmm. And I'm obsessed with coincidences. Just absolutely obsessed. Find them incredible. Get a bit woo-woo about them. Now, Find them incredible. Coincidence <laughs> fan over here. <laughs> Number one ticket holder of the coincidence. Now, a couple of weeks ago, you guys might remember that we came on this mic and we were a bit frazzled because I had been leaning on this sound effect and I'll play it once and once only. Oh, I hate it so okay. much. So it's the crunching one. And we played it and we put a video on our Instagram feed and we were like, how weird is this sound effect? And the video went very well. The listeners thought it was very funny. I think like 100,000 people or something have viewed that video. Lots of people watched it. I come down to reception here at the workspace that we're in. We're in a co-working space. And Shannon, who works at The Common, says, Zara, you wouldn't fucking believe it. That sound effect is a real sound effect. It's a real (gasps) chew. It is someone that works in this building. She chewed that and recorded it. Crunched it or whatever we want to call it. What? Because let's play it one more time for the listeners. Oh, they're going to hate us after this. What is that chewing? Because it sounds fake. It sounds like a digital chew. I want to know... Who in this office was chewing something to make that noise? Great. So that's part one of the story. (laughs) We're not yet at part two. We're not quite yet at the coincidence. So I thought, that's incredible. I've got to meet this person. I don't know their name. Still haven't run into them in the office. (laughs) Leave that there. Park that idea. Last week, (laughs) I come on this mic and I recommend the Instagram account Mips Chips. A very great Instagram account run by a Melbourne woman who reviews chips from (gasps) Melbourne. Oh my God, I know where this is going. (laughs) Cruncher, Cruncher who works in this building, is Mips Chips. And I had no idea. What are the chances of this happening? You just picked a random obscure Instagram account that you happen to like following. What is the chance, not only that that person works in the same co-working space as you, but also is the person that we spoke about literally two weeks ago making an annoying sound effect on the podcast, like little interface soundboard? i got to tell you, this should have been submitted to This American Life Coincidence. There's no coincidence. It's incredible. Have you met Mips? No, I haven't met Mips just yet. That's the thing. This entire time we've worked in the same building and we still haven't been put in contact. So I said to Shannon, who, you know, has alerted me of all of this every day and she's been quite blown away at it, Shannon, who works at the Commons, I said, you have to introduce us. So I will say when we are introduced to Mips Chips and Mrs. Crunch, we'll put a photo on our Instagram feed. A very convenient PR push for Mips Chips. (laughs) Really like set it up. It's almost like this was a planned PR strategy over the last month on Shameless. Super on brand for a cruncher (laughs) to to, to be a chip reviewer. Anyway, I don't really have a recommendation this week. I did get a Kindle and I would just love tips because I'm not enjoying the experience. I'll leave that there. I need recommendations on how to use a Kindle properly. I'm not sure if we can use the recommendation space just to ask for free advice from the (laughs) listeners? Like, is that something we do now? Well, you can do it like once a year and that is mine. May I posit a suggestion to you? Yes. I think because you don't have a good recommendation this week, we should be allowed to pull out one of your OG recommendations from the podcast that I personally think is one of your best. Oh, this is interesting. One of your most helpful recommendations ever in the last three years. Annabelle's confused too. (laughs) My confused face. (laughs) Your best recommendation, I think, number
number one for the last three years is when you told listeners, you know, when you like order something online, it arrives and it gives you like a checkbox system if you want to return it to be like, I want to exchange or I want a credit <sighs> note. Remember when you recommended draw your own box and demand a refund oh, yeah. and then tick your own box? I forgot that I did that and it worked. I did that last week and it worked. And I have you to thank like three years ago for getting on this podcast and saying <laughs> that. So let's re-recommend that vintage recommendation from you because that's way better than asking for tips about a Kindle. That's one of those things where I had completely forgotten I'd done or <laughs> spoken about on this podcast. Anyway, anyway, how was your week? What are you recommending? My week was great. Today is very bizarre because it is my birthday, but I do want to recommend something that I thought you would hate, Zara. Like I thought I was going to sit in this podcast today, recommend this show, and you were going to spend three minutes rolling your eyes and kind of huffing and puffing and waiting for me to move on. However, you got into the office yesterday and were like, have you guys watched the Making Their Mark <laughs> doco on Amazon? Annabelle's squinting because she's very yeah. confused. It's the Amazon Prime AFL docu-series. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to say that because we all know Zara doesn't give a fuck. She's I not giving a flying fuck about AFL. Well, in truth, this is a hard week for me because the season starts back up this weekend. So I, like, that's how much I don't really like Goodbye football. to our boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> the trauma. I love it because I love AFL. But I came in thinking I'm going to recommend this six or seven part series. It's incredible. Each episode is like an hour and 15 minutes long. Zara and you are going to look at me like I'm crazy. Zara loves it as well, which tells me every listener of Shameless needs to download Amazon Prime, not a sponsored plug, and watch the Making Their Mark docu-series because the AFL has nailed it. Like the AFL stars that they got to be involved in this series were so well selected. We've got like Eddie Betts from Carlton, incredible Indigenous player, Rory Sloan, amazing guy. He's the captain of the Adelaide Crows. We spoke to his wife, Belle Sloan, about pregnancy loss. Uh, what? It would have been 18 months ago, yeah. Zara. So incredible story about bereavement and child loss there. They spoke to Nick Natanui, who's just the coolest guy I've ever laid eyes on. And I found myself falling in love with multiple men this week. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch will be delighted to hear. No, but I say that to him. We watch it and I'm like, I'm full on in love with Nick Natanui. Like, I will leave oh, you for him. Yeah, he's, he's great. I was really taken off guard because Ollie, my boyfriend, had said to me, I really want to watch this documentary. And I said, that's fine. I'll just read my book for the next eight hours of time that you watch this documentary. But it was one of those things where I had my book and I just kind of never opened it. Like I was just <laughs> watching it. And I remember like the other night he put on an episode and I was like, we've already watched this bit. I remember because this <laughs> happens and then they did the bike thing and then this. And he's like, I don't remember this anywhere near as much as you remember it. So I was like, I'm clearly getting into it. No, I don't think you have to be a football fan. I think you might need to be inclined to sport in some way, shape or form. Mm. But I found it interesting because obviously last year, Sport was under real threat and the mm. AFL particularly was under a huge threat of collapsing. And even though I don't personally love the sport, I can understand how devastating that could have been for so many people. So watching them go to the hub and how the season played out is a very interesting thing to watch. I also think it humanises athletes in a way that we probably don't see typically in the media. I think the rhetoric we see about AFL players is often they're pretty like naughty boys, they act up, they don't treat women very well, which I'm not going to deny. Some absolutely do. However, like any microcosm or any group of people, there are incredible football players who are amazing men and there are ones who are not so good. 
the AFL has done very well. They've platformed some very likable, very lovable, awesome family men, and I'm all about it. There you go. There's the recommendation. So perhaps an almost joint recommendation. Do you like Richmond now? Because Richmond's one of the teams. There's six teams that have featured Annabelle. Richmond is one. Do I, you like us? Yeah, I like Gold Coast the most, though. I like the coach. Stuart Dew is so non-threatening. The entire Gold Coast team, they're just a lovable bunch of, like, Gold Coast larrikins. Just before we move on, though, it did make me think I could never have been a professional athlete with one of those coaches that scream at you. No. Like, I'm too, I would need, like, a cuddly coach who's, like, all about positive affirmation because the sprays that they get at halftime, I would be like, that's not going to make me perform. I get anxious. On my couch, I feel my anxiety just spike and I kind of curl into a ball and Mitch is like, suck it up. This is what happens <laughs> in like under 12s in footy apparently. <laughs> and we're like, ooh, ooh. Anyway, let's get into our first segment of the week, Mitch, because we are <laughs> we're starting with one of Celebs Belichick's better finds, I must admit. Mm-hmm. It is all about Lorinsky Merrington, Beck Judd and a pair of pyjamas. Yeah. So Celeb Spellcheck described this as the influencer circle of life when they posted this series of images late last week. So as you said, we have a couple of players. The first player is Lorinska. She is from a Netflix show called Yummy Mummies. Have we watched it? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It premiered on Channel 7 a couple of years ago. It didn't really do a heap in Australia, but it was when it went on to Netflix that it absolutely blew up maybe two years ago. Yeah, Americans lost their shit at Yummy Mummies. Like, they love it. So Lorinska now has 750,000 Instagram followers. She's a huge name, particularly internationally. That huge name and huge profile has led her to launching a pyjama slash loungewear line called Royale by Lorinska. Now, they say they do timeless staples and on-trend pieces for the everyday yummy mummy and her mini me. Yeah, so they're kind of like pyjamas for mum and little one that are the same. Mum (laughs) Mum and bub. (laughs) Mum and bub and they're a bit matchy, which is cute. Yeah. The second player we have is entrepreneur, social media personality, wife of former AFL player Chris Judd. Her name is, of course, Rebecca Judd. She has 825,000 followers on Instagram. So we are talking about two very big dogs in the Instagram pool. Now, What's happened here is, (laughs) as is pretty customary, I think, with a lot of people on social media who have pretty powerful friends on social media, when it came time for Lorinska to launch this brand, she sent around pyjamas to some of her girlfriends and Lorinska and Beck are friends. And just before the pyjamas went online at about eight o'clock in the evening, Beck posted a photo in the pyjamas with her daughter, Billy, saying, these pyjamas by Lorinska go live in a couple of hours, get your hands on them. Mm. So as is customary, I think, supporting a friend that's what she's done. However, within two days, some <laughs> eagle-eyed follower of Celeb Spellcheck, and I would love for this person to come forward because whoever they are, do they work for the police? Or well, are they money? You should be on like the COVID tracing system or something <laughs> like that. You're like you need to be employed by the government. Because what they did is they were in the Hampton Salvos op shop, which as someone who grew up down that way, down Bayside way, the Hampton Salvos is a pretty good op shop. <laughs> And found these pyjamas. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, how can we be sure that Beck has given them to the op shop straight away? But the reality is it's almost physically impossible. I would say impossible for these pyjamas to land at the op shop from a customer when they'd only been on sale maybe one or two days before. They probably weren't even posted out. Yeah. Well, say that these launched on a Wednesday at 8pm. If people are ordering it, it's going to take at least a couple of business days for them to physically arrive. The only person or the only group of people who would have these at their disposal to take to an op shop would be the influencers who were sent them. Hampton is also said to be Beck Judd's 
local area. So that also checks out as well. Yes, it's it's meant to be the suburb next to where she lives. Now, this was posted on Celeb Spellcheck. As Celeb Spellcheck said, the influencer circle of life, everybody had a bit of a ha-ha, oh my God, this is quite ridiculous. The news picked it up and asked both Lorenska and Beck for comment and Beck has never denied this. No <laughs> one has come out and denied it. So I think it's pretty fair to say that what has happened is Beck has uploaded this photo, taken it to the op shop next day and now it's all over social media. Yeah, well, clearly she's wanted to support a friend or at least like a friendly acquaintance on social media, wanted to support her new business, which is very generous and very lovely, but also known that she will never wear these pyjamas or loungewear and neither will her daughter, Billy. I've got to say, I'm very much team Beck on this one. Some people were commenting on Celeb Spellcheck saying it's so disingenuous for Beck to push this to us and then to clearly not like it herself and donate it to the Selvos. I disagree. From what we can tell from the Celeb Spellcheck post, and that's really all we have to go off because these were Instagram stories that expired very soon after, it really does look like Beck just said, these are going live, swipe up if you want to check them out. It wasn't like she sold them to her followers as the must-have yeah. loungewear that you need in your life. She didn't make any grandiose claims from what we can tell about them. So I don't think she's actually led anyone astray. Like if you saw the post, you liked the look, you might have swiped up and bought them and that's great for you. It's clearly not Beck's go-to style. And I think she was probably just supporting someone else online, which is a really nice thing about Instagram, I think, as someone in the industry. Lots of women with startup businesses want to support each other. Yeah. And I think that was a common thread on the Celeb Spellcheck page as people being like, but if she was paid handsomely, and that was a quote for this, she should be promoting things she believes in. I think what a lot of people need to understand is this absolutely would not have been paid. Absolutely not. Like this is very much a case of a friend launching a business, sending some product around to other people, just being like, do you mind getting a bit of the word out? I agree with you. I think it's just like a pretty unfortunate (laughs) turn of events. Like the chances of this, like if you were Beck Judd, you'd be like, what the fuck are the the chances of this? Like it is so, so unlucky. It is unfortunate as well for Lorinska, who did tell the News Corp papers this week that she's a little bit disappointed that it has overshadowed the launch and I would understand that as well. Mm. Just like this bloody (laughs) unlucky turn of events. But I'm also, secondly, very impressed by how quickly it got to the op shop. Things for the op shop sit in my car for like months at a time. So the fact Beck Judd or Beck Judd's team is so onto this that things are ending up in the op shop in the same week, I'm not going to lie, I'm bloody impressed. And the reality is someone like Beck Judd is going to be sent stuff all the time. Yeah. Whether you think that's right or wrong doesn't really matter. It's just true. She's going to be sent stuff all the time. She's not feasibly going to keep it all because you just can't possibly own that much stuff. Would you rather go into landfill or would you rather a really beautiful new set of pyjamas go to an op shop for someone who can buy it and then sort of re-wear it. Yeah. Also incredibly difficult to tell someone no. Like, isn't it a worse look for Beck Judd if someone was coming to her saying, hey, I'm launching a small business. Can you help me out? Imagine her turning around and being like, no, like I'm just not going to post about it. I'm not going to support you. Like I'd much prefer her to just share an image in it. If someone happens to like it, they can go forth and buy it. But like, She's got to be supportive. So I don't really know what else you would do in this situation that Beck Judd's done wrong. I don't think she's done anything wrong. I'm really interested in what our listeners think about whether they expect when an influencer posts anything, whether it be particularly in this case when they might just be supporting a friend's business, if they expect them to believe wholeheartedly in that product or if they understand that very human conundrum of being asked to support something of a friend's that maybe you don't like but you appreciate that other people might love. Yeah, call our hotline. I want to know. Coming up after the break, J-Lo and A-Rod break up and then get back together in the space of two days and then why John Mayer was trending after performing at the Grammys. But first, a word from today's sponsor. 
And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle Birthday Andrews. Oh, what big you, 27. <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> Jennifer Lopez claps back at headlines amid Alex Rodriguez breakup rumours. That is from Billboard. If you are like me and living in Australia and not very into Major League Baseball, which I'm guessing is like, what, 99% of us, <laughs> you're probably wondering who is A-Rod. Everyone refers to Alex Rodriguez as A-Rod. A really brief synopsis is he is a very, very tall, pretty <laughs> successful former baseball player. He had like a 22-year-long 22 career. 22 years is insane when mm. you're playing professional sport. Interestingly, did have like a whole section of his Wikipedia page dedicated to his numerous controversies <laughs> and drug scandals, oh. which I found interesting. But then I mentioned that to someone in the office. They're like, oh, that's every baseball player. <laughs> I was like, is it? No, no, no. We just were like, oh, okay. And we just like took it like gospel because we know nothing about baseball. Anyway, as you say, Mish, in the headline, J-Lo and A-Rod have had an interesting, I'm going to say an interesting few weeks. Yeah. So J-Lo and A-Rod have been together for about four years now. They've been engaged for two. And what happened was on Friday, multiple sources confirmed their split to People magazine. Mm. So I would say as far as, as we've said on this podcast before, as far as anonymous sources go, confirming a split to People is pretty well done, right? Yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah. So the source told people this has been a long time coming. They are tied in their business world, so it's not a cut and dry breakup. It's taken them a while for them to even think about untangling it all. Mm. Now, the reason that last line, it's taken them a while, is pretty important, is last month, speculation was rife that A-Rod was cheating on J-Lo. And the reason that this has happened is so interesting to me. So there's a television show called Southern Charm. Have either of you heard of it? <laughs> nope. Well, I mean, you and I were researching it yesterday together, so you know I've heard of it now. Now you have. So there's a reality television show in the US called Southern Charm, and one of the stars of that is named Madison LaCroix. Yes. On the reunion special of Southern Charm, a couple of other contestants accuse Madison LaCroix of texting a married former baseball star and not just texting but like calling, FaceTime. What else? Mitch? It was mostly like raunchy FaceTimes was yeah. the allegation. Like you know those reunion specials of Real Housewives of Atlanta? Southern Charm is kind of like the new version of Real Housewives or like the competitive version. You know when they have those like all-out screaming matches in the finale <laughs> episode where they all re like reunite around a table or in a room and then the host has to try and, like, mediate. Yeah. The host was really fanning the flames. She was like, what the fuck's going on, Madison? Who are you texting? Yeah, it, the host was hilarious because someone was like, you've been texting someone, you've been texting a baseball star. The host interjects and says, and I understand he's married. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. And it's like, nice. Anyway, so rumour was rife that it was Alex Rodriguez and it was really interesting because it was one of those stories where it was like, oh, okay, where there's smoke, there's fire. Like, mm. no one's really denying this enough. LaCroix just said that they never physically touched or never physically cheated yeah. on each other, right? Yeah, exactly right. One thing that listeners might be thinking is, hang on, you guys were just saying that he's engaged to J-Lo, yet they were talking about a married baseball star. Seems to have gotten lost <laughs> in like the Southern Charm lingo somewhere along the way. The producers didn't fact check. She did confirm, Madison LaCroix did confirm that the rumours about her were about her and A-Rod. She also confirmed that they'd spoken multiple times on the phone, but had never had a physical affair like you just touched on. Then Zara, her quote was, he contacted me and yes, we DM'd, but other than that, there was nothing. I've never seen him or touched him. Now, I don't know. I wouldn't be stoked about my boyfriend no. FaceTiming some random girl on a reality show. Like that definitely indicates to me that there was maybe something sus 
fishy, like an emotional affair going on. Yeah, and the wording is so specific. Like I've never met him or touched him, but like what else is yeah. going on? So on news breaks on Friday that A-Rod and J-Lo have broken up, this is like a month after this story about Madison LaCroix mm-hmm. surfacing. So everyone's like, okay, that makes sense. What's weird is that two days later they released a joint statement saying all the reports are inaccurate, we are working through some things. So suddenly two days later they're back together after reportedly splitting and that reported splitting felt pretty legit to me. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of feels like they said, okay, let's go with this. We're breaking up. And then in the 48 hours decided they were actually going to have a go of things. But instead of going, we've changed our minds, tried to point the finger at the media and went, you're all idiots. Well, JLo posted this really interesting TikTok. It's like, (laughs) there's just, sorry, so much going on in this story. (laughs) JLo posted this TikTok where she had like, it was like a montage of like shots from her career, like (laughs) random music. And then, then suddenly in the middle of the TikTok, there's all these headlines saying A-Rod and J-Lo have broken up and then she just interjects the song and goes idiots or something. You're all dumb or something? Yeah, like stupid or you're idiots. Is that a part of the song lyric? No, I don't think so. (laughs) Whatever she does, she stops the song to say that. So she's obviously, like I said, accusing the media and all of us of being a bit silly. Yeah, some interesting context to this story before we move on that I think definitely needs to be touched upon is that Averill's first marriage did end because, and I quote, a string of affairs, according to his ex-wife, Cynthia. He was also accused of emotionally abandoning her and their children. So I don't know. I feel like if you have a history of cheating on your wife and now you're with J-Lo and you've been connected with this obscure reality star across the country, I don't know. There's just a few red flags flailing in the wind for mine. (laughs) Not super confident in this relationship lasting. I mean, I I wouldn't want it to be mine, but good luck to them. (laughs) My second story, Beyonce and Taylor Swift make history at the Grammys. That is from BBC. Big Grammys wins for some women, particularly Beyonce this week, Mish, who set a brand new record for Grammy wins. She won her 28th Grammy Award. So she is now the most awarded woman in Grammys history. She overtook bluegrass singer Alison Krauss. 28 Grammys. At what point does the novelty wear off? Seven? Oh my God. It wears off at five, I reckon. Once you have five, you're like, "Eh, I've done enough of this I just, I can't believe how many Grammys. I mean, I can believe it because she's pretty incredible, but 28 is just so many. Taylor Swift also made history because she became the first female artist to ever win album of the year three times, which is also a pretty incredible feat. Like album of the year Mm. is, I would say, the most sought after award, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is like your body of work. It's like the body of work that you want to be recognised for, not just like a one hit wonder from the year. Not that I'm saying anyone who wins is a one-hit wonder. I can't sing for you. <laughs> so, like, good on you if you're winning any Grammy. Backtrack. <laughs> Taylor Swift obviously won in the past for 1989 oh, in 2016. <laughs> a great album. Surprisingly, I think Red is a bit better and never won. Yes, Red never won. Al- Who won? When did Red come out and what won album yeah. of the year that year? Because her other win was with Fearless in 2010. So she won Fearless in 2010, 1989 in 2016, and now it was with Folklore in 2020. So a pretty incredible string of albums there, particularly when we're not including her arguably best one. I'm ferociously typing while you're talking. All right, I have the result. Album of the year in 2013, the year that Red could have won, but wasn't even nominated from what What? I'm reading. The winner was Babel by Mumford & Sons. Mumford & Sons were pretty iconic back in the day. What what year was this? 2013. Oh, Mumford & Sons were it, weren't they? Yeah, they really were it. It was all men, I think, nominated that year. Oh, (laughs) classic. (laughs) Good to see how far we've come, though. Like, lots of women did so well this year, and that 
that's pretty incredible. Well, for sure. And two other winners I want to touch on as well is Billie Eilish won Record of the Year for Everything I Wanted and Megan the Stallion, Best New Artist. So killing it. Killing it everywhere. I would say, yeah, the girls, but I feel cringe whenever I well, say you that. you said it. <laughs> you already said it. <laughs> My third story, Mia Favola is being slut-shamed after going public with new AFL boyfriend. That is from the Herald Sun. If you are outside of Melbourne, this name might not immediately ring any bells to you. Mia Favola is most known for being the daughter of very prominent media and AFL personality Brenda Favola historically controversial AFL personality, I might add as well. Mia is now 21 and she is hitting headlines because she is now dating her third AFL boyfriend. So the first AFL player she was connected to was years ago, she dated briefly St Kilda's Josh Battle. She then dated Richmond star Daniel Rioli for two years. And now she's been connected with Western Bulldogs recruit and number one draft pick, Jamara Hagen. Yeah. So she posted about this new love on her Instagram. Instagram. I mean, not that it's relevant timeline wise, but I think that she has been single for like nearly two years and mm. has been dating Jamara for like eight months, apparently. Yeah. So this is not like a, a new fresh flame. But what is interesting is she was inundated with comments on her Instagram page, eye rolling, people slut shaming, people saying like, oh, like another AFL player. And her dad, Brendan Favola, who presents Melbourne Breakfast Radio, went on the radio and said, blokes can do whatever they want. They can go and date girls and no one judges them. It's a lad thing. But as soon as a girl does it, Mia's been with a couple of footballers. That's okay. People date tradies. That's their profession. So now it's suddenly become quite a big story because Mia has addressed it and now so has her dad. Yeah. He went on as a father that hurts. That hurts me that they think that of Mia. She can date whoever she wants. She can go out with whoever she wants, whenever she wants. She's a 21-year-old girl. When we were 21, we were doing whatever we wanted. I think that's a really fair point from Brendan Favola. I think, of course, I absolutely agree with him. To be honest, Mia is living a lot of people's dreams. Like, okay, great. She's dating really hot athletic men in her life. She's dated three men over the course of five years. They all happen to be football players. I would argue she's running in a lot of football circles, given that's where her family has really carved out their space across the country. So it's not all that surprising that these are the social circles she's running in. Well, also, no one's coming for footballers for dating three models in a row if they might be doing that. No. And one point, though, I do want to add about Brennan Favola. I'm really happy he's at this point in his life where he can recognise the sexism at play Mm. and call out the awful trolling. I will say, though, his name was involved in the Lara Bingle slut-shaming controversy 15 or so years ago now, and he was accused of leaking her naked photo to football players at the time. He also made some pretty dodgy comments about Lara Bingle throughout that period. So I am glad he's come to this point in his career. I think he could have been a little more self-aware and pointed out that maybe 10 or so years ago, he was that guy who was slut-shaming young women in the public eye. Yeah, I think that's why it's a good and lovely comment for a dad to make. And I think anyone would want their dad to stand up for them in the way that he's standing up for me. There is no denying that. I think as someone who has read a lot into the Lara Bingle saga and sort of tried to reanalyse it, it is a little bit hard to swallow when he's not coming out and directly saying, I was a bit of a shit and I didn't realise. And yes, maybe unfortunately it's taken age and time for me to realise that. And this is exactly what my daughter's going through because I think that sort of double standard here is is an interesting one to watch. But that said, the bottom line here is that Mia shouldn't be getting these comments and I'm glad that she's sticking up for herself and there are other people doing it too. Live your life. Like, go for it. I think everyone's a bit jealous. My fourth story, the talk subject of internal review after Sharon Osbourne's tense exchange with Cheryl Underwood. That is from E! News. If you missed this, the talk is a very, very 
very popular television show. Is it an America's Ara? Yes, it's American. An American talk show. It's got some incredible co-hosts, some very, very big names. Over the last few years in particular, I think they've really tried to overhaul this program, make it more diverse, make it more culturally sensitive, because it has been accused historically of being a platform for white feminism. Yeah. Now, this is an incredibly tense exchange and a pretty awful exchange that happened on the talk last week. It all started... Because of Piers Morgan, believe it or not, Sharon Osbourne and Piers Morgan are pretty good friends. And when Piers Morgan went wild at Meghan Markle on his own breakfast program in the UK and walked off and then quit slash was fired from the show, we're not quite sure, Mm. Sharon Osbourne tweeted, Piers Morgan, I am with you. I stand by you. People forget that you're paid for your opinion and that you're just speaking your truth. So what happened is last week on the show, her co-hosts put that tweet to her and Mm. said, this is why what you've said is problematic. And then... I'm going to play a clip here because the ensuing conversation is hard to listen to in but important context. I will ask you again, Cheryl. I've been asking you during the break. I am asking you again. And don't try and cry because if anyone should be crying, it should be me. This is the situation. You tell me where you have heard him say, educate me. Tell me when you have heard him say racist things. Educate me. Tell me. I mean, from that, Mish, we can hear that she's angry. She threatens to cry. She is yelling. Mm. And Cheryl Underwood, her co-host there that she's yelling at, is so calm. And so is Elaine Welteroth, another black co-host. She's sitting there so calmly while Sharon Osbourne goes on this absolute racist meltdown. And I, just listening to that, couldn't believe that people didn't walk off set. Mm. Like, this has to be the end of Sharon Osbourne's career, right? Mm. I, I mean, I I don't know if I want to say I hope so. I think it should be. Yeah. I don't know if it actually will be because I think Sharon Osbourne has been on that show for a long time. She's basically the face of the talk at this stage. So whether or not CBS will be prepared to kind of sever ties with her in the wake of this spectacular meltdown on set is really interesting. I find it fascinating that people like Sharon Osbourne, friendship with Piers Morgan or not, feel so hellbent on defending him and so Mm. hellbent, like they will go down in a blaze of flames just to protect his right to say outwardly racist things. Like why is that the hill Sharon Osbourne wants to die on? Why is she threatening to cry on the show and acting like they're really coming for her with pitchforks and trying to burn her at the stake when in reality her co-hosts were the definition of composed and calm and compassionate. Like when you watch this exchange, you really do see Sharon Osbourne comes across as the definition of aggressive, the definition of angry, furious in fact, while her co-hosts are literally just trying to have a constructive conversation. It very much reminds me of that saying that now it is more offensive to accuse someone of being racist than it actually is to be racist. Well, that's exactly, she makes that point. Like that's what she says. I should be crying because you're calling me racist rather than the fact that I'm promulgating racism. It should be noted that the talk actually did cancel their Monday and Tuesday episodes to probe further into what actually happened. Co-host Elaine Welteroth and her hairstylist also did speak to papers, I think through sources, Mm. or sources did report that Elaine and her hairstylist didn't feel safe on set because of the insensitive and hostile environment, which is absolutely fair. And I think for that reason, I'd be very, very surprised if Sharon Osbourne returned, particularly 
given the fact that this morning, and we're recording this on Wednesday, a new report came out that has accused Sharon Osbourne of racist slurs against her former co-host, Julie Chen. Yeah. So I think that more and more stuff is going to come out over the course of the next few days. And I don't think they can keep her on that show. Here, here. My fifth story, Justin Bieber doesn't carry a cell phone as he says he's learned to have boundaries. That is from People <laughs> Mag. A really quick one. I just love the idea that Justin Bieber literally doesn't have a cell phone or a mobile phone. He walks around with an iPad to communicate with his team. It's a bit dorky. (laughs) Well, there's pap shots. I was like, there's no way that Justin Bieber is walking around besotted with an iPad in the way that my mother is besotted with her (laughs) iPad. Like, there's just no way. And yet, if you look up pap shots, since 2019, he's been papped walking around town, tapping away with one finger on his iPad. Unpopular opinion. I think it's a good idea. Why? Because I wouldn't do it. Don't get me wrong. But I understand. He had said in this Billboard interview, I definitely learned how to have boundaries and I just don't feel like I owe anybody anything. This has helped me be able to just say no and just be firm in it and know that my heart wants to help people, but I can't do everything. I want to sometimes, but it's just not sustainable. If you're carrying around an iPad, I don't think you're flicking it on and like being as contactable as you would with a phone, but you're not completely uncontactable. Mm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like it's... Oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> Annabelle, thoughts on I'm carrying just, an iPad around? I'm just picturing him holding up an iPad to his ear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to make a phone call. Can, can you, you make can phone you? calls on? You I'm can pretty FaceTime. sure you can because you can do it on your like MacBook or whatever. So I'm pretty sure you'd be able to take phone calls at least on like Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, all that type of stuff. You can have it on your iPad. This is the type of thing where I'm like, you know when people bring in productivity hacks or they yeah. change their lives? I always think, is it that different? Like you're just carrying no, around I'm a fucking <laughs> massive tablet instead of carrying something around that's more compact and like logical. If he's being papped with an iPad, he's probably got it with him most yeah. of the time, right? 100%. And then I started to think if you were working with Justin Bieber, like don't get me wrong, boundaries are important. Being contactable all the time is not a good thing. But if you're working with Justin Bieber, like if you turned around to me today, Michelle, and said, or oh, Annabelle, look, I've got this new thing. I want boundaries. <laughs> I'm not going to use a phone anymore. I'm going to use an iPad. I'd be like how the fuck do I get in touch with you and run a business and like run this podcast without it? Do you know what I mean? Also like chill out on the candy crush. (laughs) (laughs) Is that all you've got for me? That's all for today's Quick and Dirty. Thank you. Thank you, next bitch. On Monday, Australia time, the best musicians across the world celebrated the 63rd annual Grammy Awards. Among the many performances, hello Dua Lipa and very big hello to Harry Styles. <laughs> Ooh, very big hello. Doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> was one John Mayer taking the stage with the singer Marin Morris. Soon after, John Mayer's name was trending and not for the same reasons that Dua Lipa and Harry Styles' names were everywhere. Soon, conversations about John Mayer were being had with a new lens. After all, John John Mayer's reputation as a quote-unquote douchebag doesn't quite nail exactly how problematic some of his comments have been over the years. A history of racism, sexism kind of just skims the surface. So we decided today to lay it all out, mainly, Mish, because I was once a big John Mayer fan and I didn't know that a lot of this was sort of in his background. Were you just like humming your body is a wonderland to yourself? I loved that song. (laughs) But we wanted to ask the questions, is John Mayer coded in Teflon? Should he be performing on music's biggest stage or has he grown enough in the last 10 or 11 years to finally be back on the scene? Mish, there's heaps to unpack here, unpacking John Mayer's legacy, particularly in the last sort of 15 or so years. So 
I want to start with why perhaps he was trending. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, John May is a pretty big name. He hasn't been around very much in the last decade at all, but I don't think we could skim over how big he was in music a decade or more ago. So if you're not aware, John Mayer has won a number of Grammys. His first Grammy came 18 years ago for Your Body is a Wonderland, Zara's favourite song apparently. (laughs) He wrote that when he was 25. He also won again in 2007 for Best Pop Vocal Album and then again for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance for Waiting on the World to Change, another really good song. I I used to say when I was younger that I wanted that at my funeral but I didn't really understand the song well enough. Like it's one of those things where it's like I need to go back and look at the lyrics to make sure that was appropriate. I used to want to have Missy Higgins steer which I don't think works at a funeral at all. No, I think that does work at a funeral. I do love that song, anything Missy Higgins. If I die, let it be no, and I want Missy Higgins to at my funeral. <laughs> I actually wanted that at my wedding as well. <laughs> so let's just have it at all our big occasions. Maybe we do a joint thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, back to John Mayer. John Mayer is now 43 years old, which yeah. I did not know. I think he's he's one of those people in my mind that's like forever been 28, 29. Yeah. And what had happened is when he performed at the Grammys, suddenly Twitter was awash with accusations and conversations about perhaps he shouldn't have been there. And it is because he has a really, really patchy history with a couple of key interviews that he's done that are absolutely horrendous, Mish. Yeah, and I think to go back to your original question of why now, why was this commentary so ferocious given he really hasn't been in the zeitgeist for very long? I think... The literal juxtaposition of John Mayer and Taylor Swift sharing the same stage really transported people back to a time when they were dating, number one, but also transported them to a time of 2009, 2010, when a lot of this shit went down. So for context, Taylor Swift and John Mayer dated, they broke up, and immediately after that breakup, some of the most vile quotes we've read from celebrities came out of John Mayer's mouth. I mean, we see him with Taylor Swift, and it also reignites memories of him dating a string of extremely famous young women, including Jennifer Love Hewitt, Jessica Simpson, Minka Kelly, Jennifer Aniston, Taylor Swift and Katy Perry, of course. But I think that Taylor Swift parallel is why we saw this catch fire on Twitter. Yeah. And so I think the first interview that comes to mind when we talk about John Mayer's legacy is a 2010 interview he did with Playboy. Mm. And this is, I think, I would go as far to say the worst celebrity interview I have ever read in my life. And I would Mm. like to say I've read a few because it's our job. He is really outwardly racist and I do want to give a trigger warning before I give some of these quotes as context because they're not easy to listen to. I might actually get Annabelle to come in after she's edited it to give a time code for people to be able to skip past these comments. Yes, future Annabelle, take it away. Hey guys, if you don't want to hear the racist comments made in this interview, please feel free to fast forward to 42 minutes and 16 seconds. Okay, so in this interview, some of the quotes were absolutely bizarre and just Mm. horrendous. He said in 2010 in this Playboy interview, I am a very, I'm just very, V-E-R-Y. And if you can't handle very, then I'm a douchebag. But I think the world needs a little very. That's why black people love me. And so the journalist interjected by saying, okay, well, what do you mean by the fact you're very? And he said... Someone asked me the other day, what does it feel like to have a hood pass? He then went on to say, maybe my struggle is similar to one black dude's. He also went on to say, my dick is sort of like a white supremacist. I've got a Benetton heart and a fucking David Duke cock. I'm going to start dating separately from my dick. Yeah. So, I mean, not even the inference, the outright 
claim that he doesn't find black women sexually attractive. First of all, the idea that we should be speaking about black women in the lens of like who you do and don't find sexually attractive is problematic on its own. But saying David Duke, like so readily calling on the name of the man who invented the Ku Klux Klan and called himself what? It was like the chief wizard or the wizard of the knights of the Ku Klux Klan. I am just so suspicious about who John Mayer is as a person. If you are aligning yourself with the most prominent neo-Nazi anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist in the US, Who are you really and why are you so comfortable giving that quote to a journalist, let alone thinking it in the first place? Yeah, it's it's sick, if I'm honest. He also used the N-word in this interview, in this kind of conversation, and then he just spoke a lot about fucking lots of girls. Mm. Like he said, for me, it's never been about fucking lots of girls. I could have fucked a lot more girls in my life if I hadn't been trying so hard to get them to like me. A really odd, very racist, very sexist comments that appear like he's a bit of a narcissist. Yeah, I believe that was also the interview where he spoke at length about sex with Jessica Simpson. Yes. And he spoke about how much he would pay to be able to, and I quote, F her again. Jessica Simpson subsequently came out a decade later in her memoir, Open Book, last year and said those quotes and that relationship was what triggered her addiction to alcohol because she was so humiliated and so emotionally manipulated by John Mayer, not just throughout their relationship in 2006, 2007, but in the aftermath where he spoke about her in such a vulgar way. He likened her to crack cocaine Mm. in that interview. And in an excerpt of her book, in her new memoir, Jessica Simpson wrote, that she never felt like she was smart enough for John Mayer and she said he was so clever and treated conversation like a friendly competition he had to win. One minute he was explaining the start of his Rolex collection and then another he was going on about a collector who he was jealous of, then the nature of jealous, then the concept of time and the heft of it on your wrist. Mayer allegedly broke up with Jessica Simpson nine times over email. So I think you can see like a real pattern here And going back to Taylor Swift, this is just another element of his story, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we know Taylor Swift wrote Dear John, I believe, immediately after their breakup. It was very early on in her career that that song came out and she said that it was a toxic relationship. She also said that she felt like she was too young to be messed around by him. She definitely alluded to emotional manipulation. She was only 19 when they dated and he was 32. And again, I mean, I know we've spoken at length about age gaps. I find that interesting that she was so much younger than him and she did say that he played with her. I mean, one of her quotes from that song was, don't you think 19 is too young to be played by your dark, twisted games? Mm. And this went beyond just a couple of years, right? Like we started with Jessica Simpson in around the 2006-2007 era where she said he was emotionally toxic. But in 2012, so six years later, he was giving really misogynistic quotes to Rolling Stone. This is a quote that I'm going to read out, and I think it's important context before I do read it out, that I think John Mayer was at least high or under the influence of something when this quote was given. It was given at 4am in the morning, and the interviewer explained that they had been drinking, Ambien and Xanax were mentioned. It really does sound like John Mayer was in an interesting place in his addiction journey. He did give this quote though. Do you think it's going to take meeting someone who I admire more than I admire myself? It's also about a beautiful vagina. Aren't we talking about a matrix of a couple of different things here? Like you need to have them to be able to go toe to toe with you intellectually, but they also have to have a vagina you could pitch a tent on and just camp out on for like a weekend. Doesn't that have to be there too? The Joshua tree of vaginas. What does that even mean? And that's an interesting layer to this story, I think, before we kind of extrapolate to 
too much out of these quotes. I, I do not think that being under the effect of drugs or alcohol makes you racist or makes you misogynistic. If anything, I think it makes you more honest about those deep-seated values you clearly have inside. But I do think it raises questions about even journalistic ethics that is it okay for journalists to be interviewing someone who is clearly not sober, clearly incoherent and clearly rambling and then put these out to the world? I'm not saying I have an opinion on that. I genuinely wonder what the readers think. But I do think if you're hearing those quotes and going, these are going on like a completely different path every single turn and every single sentence, I think we need to explain that he was deeply addicted, it sounds like, throughout this time in his life. Yeah, I think the Rolling Stone interview, which was in 2012, is far more incoherent than the Playboy one. Mm. Like, the Playboy one at least was pretty coherent. It was just horrendous to read. Mm. And I don't know, I mean, I have no idea whether it was under the influence or not, but for me, it's not especially relevant when it comes to the content of what he was saying. Mm. But when you ask questions about the ethics of journalists, I mean, I remember in journalism school, it was one of the first things that you're told is don't interview anyone who's vulnerable. And that could be someone who's young, gone through trauma or someone under the influence. Mm. So I don't think it's the most ethical thing to do. The other question is genuinely, how often would you interview a musician who wasn't under the influence of yeah, something? Yeah, that's fair enough. Like, yeah. I don't know if you're going to get an interview with people. And I know that's a huge generalisation, but particularly in their peak, they're probably under the influence of something. I mean, you could argue now as well that, okay, well, a lot of these controversies are, you know, specific to that 2006 to 2012 time. But like to a much lesser scale, and I am going to put that out there, to a much lesser scale, he was saying relatively annoying things in 2018. I mean, mm. He did a Q&A session on Instagram with his fans in 2018 where someone asked him what his take was on feminism. Oh, God. And he said... <laughs> Annabelle, <laughs> I'm <bracing> myself. Yeah. <laughs> Annabelle's like the physical listener in our yard. <laughs> like, oh, no, what's coming now? And he replied, if you ask people if they support ensuring equal rights for women in all aspects of their lives, they would very likely answer yes. Change that question to, are you a feminist? And the answers instantly become more complicated. That's because a single phrase is being co-opted. Mm. It's like a very <laughs> frustrating reductive way to look at feminism. Yeah. I do want to posit one kind of like philosophical argument to you. And I wonder if listeners will be thinking about this. Like it's often a quote that we wheel out, right? That like you become many different people over your lifetime. So our cells in our body completely change. Every seven to 10 years, you have an entirely new organism, entirely new human system. You do not have a single cell. John Mayer does not have a single cell in his body that's the same cell that would have given that 2010 quote today. I know that some people will be listening to this going, well, couldn't he have completely changed? Shouldn't we just move on? These quotes are 11 years old now. The Rolling Stone quotes are nine years old. Like, why are we still holding on to this? Why can't we just move on? on. I think that's a very easy argument to take. First of all, if you're white or if you're not a woman and therefore none of these quotes have anything really to do with you and don't personally offend you. But I also think it would be an easier argument to kind of travel down if John Mayer had ever been held accountable for the people he had hurt and for the dangerous, harmful rhetoric he had put out into the atmosphere. If you are emitting such toxic messages into the world, you are accountable to rectify that. You need to do something about it and be held responsible for it. His apologies across the years are so bad and like the absolute 
lowest of the low bar on the floor level. Yeah, and I think that's what frustrates me about John Mayer because I think first and foremost, I don't think a conversation about how much can you change in 10 years or should you be held accountable for stuff you said 10 or 11 years is as relevant in a context where he's been really systematic in his offence, like his sexism and his racism. Like it's been really prolific over the years and it's not just one instance. And for that reason, I'm like, is this just an embedded part of you? Mm. But separate to that, when we're speaking about the apologies, that's what's frustrated me is there has been many a puff piece trying to bring John Mayer back to life. I mean, one in the New York Times in 2017 comes to mind where they try to say, okay, John Mayer is not the same person that he once was, Mm. but he never specifically addresses anything he says. They are very vague about the controversies from 2010 to 2012. And in these pieces, the journalist references the specific controversies, Mm. but John never references the specific comments. And I think if you ever, ever want to be fully self-aware and take accountability. You have to say specifically, this is what I said, this is how I hurt, and this is what I've done to change. I also really have an issue with each of the apologies he's given always lining up with him being on PR to sell us a new album. So he gave a half-hearted apology on Alan in May 2012, which read, I lost my head for a little while and I did a couple of dumb interviews and it kind of woke me up. It was a violent crash into being an adult for a couple of years. I was just figuring it all out and I'm glad I actually stayed out of the spotlight. Again, no, sorry, I was racist and I'm learning to do better or I was misogynistic and I'm learning to do better. I lost my head for a little while is not an apology. It's an excuse. Absolutely. And dumb interviews completely underplays the damage that you did. Yeah. And if you're then going to follow it up with, by the way, buy my new album, here's my performance, go out and listen to the new song. It really counts for nothing. He did it again to sell his album in 2017. That's why he was talking to the New York Times. He was there for promo. And he said, what has to happen for a guy to believe that he's totally well adjusted and be that far out of touch? My GPS was shattered shattered, just shattered. Again, I'm I'm glad he can at least recognize that, but that is step one in a 10-step apology. Like, say that, say I was so misguided, I was so ill-informed, I was so ignorant, and then say, I apologize to the people I hurt. This is how it's not going to happen again. These are the steps I'm putting in place to be a better human. He gets to step one and then just calls it a day and goes, buy my new album, by the way. And then the Grammys put him up on the stage next to Taylor Swift, someone who he was in a toxic relationship with, and kind of go, oh, yeah, cool, job done. It's been 10 years. We're all sweet with John Mayer now. And now to come full circle, the argument about whether John Mayer should have been playing at the Grammys feels kind of obvious. The answer to me is no, Mm. because in this specific circumstance, Firstly, John Mayer hasn't had a hit in about 20 years. He's not like the who's who of music right now. Like he's not the one that people are demanding play. But secondly, he doesn't need to perform. You can just as easily get someone like John Legend up there to do his thing instead. Swap a John for a John. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, I think that is all we've got time for. I think you're right, guys. If you have any thoughts on this, if you think John Mayer did deserve a spot on the stage, call our hotline. If you agree with us that we don't need to be platforming sexist, racist, misogynists, 11 years after they became relevant, then also let us know. Call our hotline. You can go to our website. It is shamelessthepodcast.com forward slash hotline. Annabelle Lee, any other messages? Happy birthday, Michelle. (laughs) Happy birthday, Michelle. If you do want to support the show, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review if you are so inclined. Or if you're listening on Spotify, hit follow on Spotify and that would be great too. We'll be back in your ears on Monday. See you on Monday, guys. Bye.
Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.